Do you ever catch yourself wishing you didn't have to stay positive? Or maybe you've been working on keeping a positive mindset for years, but it still feels like a daily battle sometimes. Having a chronic illness means you're being told to stay positive all the time. And let's be honest, it's exhausting. Because pushing ourselves to stay positive is not actually positive. There's a much easier way to get a strong, positive mindset and all of the feel-good perks that come with it without the pressure of looking on the bright side. Check out my free resource, The No BS Guide to a Positive Mindset. In it, I give the straight scoop on strategies that work and common strategies that are a waste of time and energy. Go to andreahansencoaching.com now or use the link in this podcast description and get your free resource, The No BS Guide to a Positive Mindset, today. I had the honor today of speaking with Abigail Cummings. She was born with a very rare genetic disorder that leads to progressive disabilities, but she doesn't let that stop her. She's determined to live her life, which includes traveling. And we have a great conversation about this shared passion of ours and how travel goes beyond just having amazing experiences to teaching us all about fortitude and self-trust, awareness, boundaries, choosing the right partners, and so much more. I loved talking with Abigail about her experience in college and her hopes for the future. She is so relatable and wise way beyond her years. If you have ever shied away from travel because of your chronic illness, this episode is for you. You'll leave inspired with a solid plan for your next vacation. Please enjoy this week's episode and visit andreahansencoaching.com for more on Abigail Cummings, resources that we talked about in the show, and transcripts from today's episode. Welcome to the Live Your Life, Not Your Diagnosis podcast. I'm Andrea Hansen, author, motivational speaker, and master certified coach. When I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, I was told I would never reach my goals, but I did. And I'm on a mission to prove that life with a chronic illness can still be expansive and quite remarkable. Everyone has their own unique path. I'm talking to people living with a chronic illness that come from different backgrounds, have different points of view, and are achieving amazing life goals of all kinds to inspire you to achieve what you thought was impossible. These stories are raw, uncensored, and judgment-free. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody. Today, I'm here with Abigail Cummings. Abigail is an average 20-something currently based in Southwest Florida, navigating life post-quarter-life crisis. After exhaustion and burnout left her feeling hopeless and the pandemic turned her life upside down, she boarded a one-way flight to paradise and has never looked back. Through sharing her raw and real-life experiences on social media, her goal is to inspire and empower others to live their life to the fullest without the fluff that comes from expectation. In the past year and a half, she has been on a journey of self-discovery, tuning out the noise of the world and instead listening to the whisperings of her soul. Hello, Abigail. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. Whisperings of your soul. I love that. Thank you so much. I think there's so much noise and so much clutter that we hear from the world, especially when it comes around the topic of living with a chronic illness and all the expectations of kind of still fitting in that bubble of what society wants you to do, what society wants you to live your life like, and then 
not always having the tools and the resources to be able to do so at times just because of your illness and so not really being susceptible to those expectations and really just listening to what you need, listening to what your body, your mind, your soul is telling you to do and not really caring about the rest. That's amazing. It's a huge asset to be able to do that for sure, to be able to tune out because everybody, you're right, especially when you have a chronic illness, everybody has something to say. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has a uh, treatment or a cure or something that their cousins, best friends, niece did one time that really worked. Everybody's got something. And it is a matter of tuning that out and really having the courage to tune it out, right? I mean, for a long time, I felt like I had to listen to everything, try everything that everybody's best friends, cousins, nephew did because I didn't want to miss anything. But really being able to tune that out and listening to, you're right, that whispers. Because when you first start listening to your internal voice, it really is kind of quiet because sometimes it's not used to being listened to. So it's like, hello, scary. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you have a really unique story. And there were, there are some parts of it that I really resonate with. And I know people listening are really going to resonate with. Um, and the very first thing was that you, you were diagnosed pretty young before you went to college, right? Yeah. So I was diagnosed in mid high school to mid college. It really is spanned a whole long time for me to actually get a diagnosis. So I have a super rare condition um, called Barde-Beetle syndrome or BBS for short. And so it was this, this thing that was, we knew about, we had inklings, my family and I had inklings about because it's a super rare recessive condition and it presents in these very odd symptoms to start out when you're really young. So some of them are like, I was born with extra digits on each hand and extra digits on each foot. That's like one of the rare symptoms of it. And so we had gone to the specific eye doctor, my sister and I had, because part of the recessive, um, recessive gene type of it is that usually it comes in pairs. And so my sister and I had both had these, you know, crazy symptoms that all kind of matched up. And so we went to our eye doctor because one of the major um, ways that this it presents is through having really poor vision and then eventually becoming blind, which is a little bit of a scary thought, but nothing about that at the moment. So when I was about 14, the eye doctor came back to us and said, based on all your conditions and all of your symptoms up until now, between the two of us, we think it's BBS. And Unfortunately, it took years and years and years from first learning about it and trying to Google it, but Google's not going to have the answer because it's so rare. Or it's going to have some really scary answers that actually yeah. don't probably apply. Or it's going to tell you, exactly, or it's going to tell you you're going to be blind by 25, which is like, not you know, helpful. as a 14-year-old, you're like, what? I'm going to be blind in 10 years? What am I going to do? How yeah. am I going to live my life like a normal teenager? <laughs> yeah. Whenever I'm talking to anybody who is new to a diagnosis or kind of wondering, I always say, do not Google. Just don't do it. Yeah. Well, curious me too at 14 was like, oh, well, 
I'll do as much research as possible about this rare condition. I need to know all about it. And so even in high school, like I had written a term paper about it and bad call as a (laughs) high schooler. (laughs) Do not try to like understand complex medical jargon because you're just going to scare yourself like more and more and more. So I agree with you. Don't Google. If you're getting a new diagnosis, do not Google your diagnosis. But the thing is, though, from age 14 to age 18, 19, I don't think I actually really officially got like the diagnosis per se until I was about 20 when we got the genetic testing back that said, yes, you do have the genes for BBS. So even from like all of my high school years now getting more and more of the symptoms that came along with BBS and really getting a diagnosis, but not a diagnosis, and then learning how to cope with that in the years that are like your teenage years, most reformative years, was a little crazy. And then also going to college and having, you know, this illness that you know about, but do you have it? Do you not have it? And then learning to cope with it was definitely a struggle, I would say, to say the least, but something that has been also so fun to figure out how to overcome. Yeah. And I love that. I love that perspective. I was going to ask what helped you get through college? Because I know I was diagnosed when I was halfway through my master's program. And I immediately was like, I can't, I don't have a luxury of school. Like I've got to, I got to go get a job. I've got to get money. I got to get insurance. I got to figure this out. So what helped you stay in college and work through all of that while you're processing what might be happening? might not be happening, is happening. Well, I must say like the number one thing that I am so incredibly grateful for and blessed for is that my parents have really good health insurance. Yeah. I will say that. Yes. You mentioned that insurance part and I was like, thank goodness I've never had to worry about that. I know a lot of people that's like a big one for them, but I would say like the biggest thing for me going through college and figuring out how to really like cope with the like all the different symptoms and then on top of like actually having a diagnosis for me was just like figuring out how to really understand how I can use these these different symptoms as more of a way to actually like understand myself more so I went to school I was an interior design major when I was in school and if you know anything about being a design major in college, it you do not sleep ever. Yeah. Which, <laughs> which has its positives because there's like so much to learn and there's so much creativity and so much freedom, but along comes with it is like there's so much to do all the time and you never sleep and it's exhausting. So like figuring out how to cope with the symptoms that are exhausting your body. Right. From having a chronic illness and then also being constantly exhausted because I school was definitely a hard thing to kind of balance. And I think from learning that balance is how I was able to get through college. So tell me a little bit about that balance. What was that balance? What did you do to balance those? Yeah. So I think a lot of the balance came from finding boundaries. I knew that I had to get myself, you know, back in bed by 10 p.m. and did it stink because the rest of my friends were staying up 
you know, at 2 a.m. having their all-nighter party, and I was missing out on the social event, like, absolutely. But was I also able to wake up at 8 a.m. the next morning for class and be able to get through an entire, you know, 8 to 5 load of schedule in a day? Yes. So it was really finding those boundaries of knowing, like, what is going to set me up for success? And then, sure, FOMO definitely kicks in. <laughs> but, like, understanding, you know, maybe I did have to give up, you know, a couple of those, like, fun college things. Like, a great example of that for me was, like, college bar culture. Yeah. You know, all my friends. I know nothing about college <laughs> bar culture. No, you're good. You're good. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I was all about bar culture. <laughs> <laughs> that was my life <laughs> please go on right so like literally so not only was like i was in school i lived in my sorority house which is literally across the street from you know all of college row with all of our bars and everything so all my friends would be going out you know friday saturday sunday even sometimes thursday monday you know, drinking all the time. And for me, like, I couldn't drink because of one of the, um, one of the major symptoms of the illness that I have is renal failure and renal dysfunction. So kidney functions. Um, and so I learned the hard way freshman year, if I was going to drink, I was going to be sick on the couch for a week. And so, you know, Another boundary then, mm-hmm. learning that maybe I couldn't go out with my friend, but in the long run, I would be successful because I wouldn't be stuck in bed for a week. Right. Yeah. And I love it. I mean, one of the most common comments I get when people are like, when people are reading my book is, yes, my book is for people with chronic illness, but it's for people without chronic illness because even though we have these limitations that are, you know, placed on us that we didn't ask for, the coping mechanisms that we learn because we are listening to our bodies and we are honoring the fact that we have, you know, whatever the chronic illness is, these are things that are just kind of good for all humans, right? You're learning not to go out and drink a ton until three o'clock in the morning and then get up two hours later and go to class. A lot of what we learn through having these um, these illnesses and, and diagnoses is how to take better care of ourselves, which arguably I think everybody can be can be learning. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. I think, especially in the college years, I was less willing to like understand my body and understand what boundaries I did need to find that balance. Because I was almost feeling like I was missing out on these like rites of passage in order mm-hmm. to honor my illness and honor my boundaries. But looking back at it now, like I don't remember the two AM, you know, parties. <laughs> I <Right>. remember like <laughs> functioning and being able to like continue to move on and still know that I was doing a good job every single day. Right. You know, a lot of people with chronic illness have this feeling when I was looking at 
learning to process my diagnosis in you know the very beginning. I was young, I was in my early 20s. I knew my my body was speaking very clearly to me, which it sounds like yours was to you as well, about what it liked, what it didn't like, what wasn't great. And I would choose not to listen sometimes because listening and putting up those boundaries to honor it meant almost like admitting defeat for me in some weird way. It meant like, oh, this is real. And this is something that is never going to go away. And this is something that quite possibly I have to, the way I looked at it in the very beginning was a way to limit myself. And these are limits that I have to put on myself for the rest of my life. And that felt so big and so imposing that I almost chose not to because I didn't want to admit that this was now my life. Yeah, absolutely. I can completely relate to that. And I, to like my diagnosis personally, like a lot of the symptoms that I struggle with and I deal with and that are related to the illness that I have are very like silent symptoms in a sense. So I think for me, like relating to your story too, I studied abroad my, my first semester of my junior year. And that semester I was with all the cool kids and I wanted to fit in and I wanted to do all of these things, you know, which included, you know, not, not sleeping a lot, maybe drinking a little more than I should, eating weird foods because I was in a different country and like yeah. my body hated every second of it. But I wanted to fit in because there were only two dozen of us total on this study abroad trip. So like, who wants to be the weird girl who goes to bed at 10 p.m. and won't eat any local food you know so you you do these things to fit in but at the end of the day then your body hates you so it's really walking that fine balance of like what can I do that's going to honor what I need for my body but at the same time almost in a sense like still isn't limiting me if that makes sense Mm -hmm. it does because on top of everything else we're humans and we genuinely want these experiences right? I mean, you're studying abroad, you're doing all these cool things. And like you say, there's certain rites of passage that uh, we all go through, you know, at different times in different ways. But when it's happening, we genuinely want to experience it. And sometimes it's hard. It's, it's almost like you're caught in between. Do I do know, do I do what I know is right for my body? And not just right now, but right for what I know will be like weeks to come because that might be some pretty long-term consequences. Or do I do something that I know psychologically makes me happy and gives me this experience and helps me grow as a person? It's, it's a very, I, I think talking about it like a tightrope, I think you're right. It's, it can be a total tightrope. Yeah, absolutely. And then as a 20 something year old, you know, you add on the expectations um, um you know, what is college, what is college supposed to look like? Or what is, you know, what is life supposed to look like? And that's yes. really, you know, adds a whole nother layer to that whole tightrope uh, equation, if, if you can say so. <laughs> well, and, and I, yeah, does. And I think, especially when you're diagnosed very young and something is put on you again, like, we don't choose this. It's put on you and you need to navigate it. But at the same time, you have these very genuine questions about 
it's twofold now. It's like you have your genuine question about who am I in this life? Like, what am I, what am I here for? What is my purpose? Or what do I like to do? What do I want to do with my life? What do I want my life to look like? And then at the same time, we have this diagnosis and it's, okay, who am I now that I have this diagnosis? Who am I now that I have these, you know, I hate to admit it to myself, but clear limitations on things that I need to be doing or need not to be doing. So it's kind of this twofold at a time where we're just trying to figure ourselves out anyway. And it's both, you know, a blessing and a curse in a way. And I think Mm -hmm. for me personally, like that's what really led to my demise almost where I hit this point where I was having a quarter life crisis by continuing to go down a path of like, well, let me just follow what I think I should be doing and what I should, you know, what, what everyone's telling me I should be doing, you know, career path wise, finding myself wise, all these different things. But then in, in the background, in the back corner are the limitations that are coming from my chronic illness. So maybe I can't be in a job where I need to be working 70 hours a week, even though it shouldn't be 70 hours because I, I do need the limitation of having sleep or it's maybe I can't be eating fast food for every meal because my body really can't cope with fast food at all. Right. But it's not realizing those things when you're continuing to go through early adulthood. It's, oh, well, let me just do whatever I can to get to a point where I will be quote unquote successful and also living in harmony with my illness. Mm -hmm. It's very hard because there is such a hustle culture out there, especially when you are getting into the workforce and you're trying to establish yourself and you're the junior person being hired on if you're working at a corporation. And so that's going to be a lot of grunt work. It's going to be a lot of proving yourself. It's going to be a lot of tap dancing and song and dance and jazz hands and all of that kind of stuff. And so it's hard to do that if you think that's what you need to do. It's hard to, it's really hard to stop and say, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. Like have that confidence to know, like, I'm enough. I am awesome at this job and I don't have to do all of that. I need to listen. Like the the courage and the self-trust that that takes is huge. Yeah, absolutely. And I will be completely honest. I was not there with my first corporate job at all because I was like, you know, I don't think anyone was. And then on top of that, like adding the pandemic, it's a whole nother, like, you know, I love but, you know, the pandemic was like the best blessing in the disguise too. But at the same time, it's like chronic illness, hustle culture, pandemic, all of these things. And it's like, how do I still really find balance in all of this when I'm also very susceptible to being on social media, all of my friends who are like doing amazing things and getting raises and getting promotions and getting engaged and buying houses Mm. with their significant others and doing all of these different things and then feeling almost like behind on everything because as much as like I don't know that we want to admit it like there are definitely limitations when it comes to chronic illness and so you know all your friends are up here doing all of these amazing things because they can go at 10,000 miles an hour when you're back right. down here going at 5,000 miles an hour. 
Right. And you're trying to play catch up, but you're never going to get there. So it's also finding that acceptance of I'm okay with me down here at 5,000 miles an hour, even if my friends are up here at 10,000 miles an hour doing amazing things that I wish I was doing for my life. It's also an exercise in staying in your own lane, right? And knowing that everybody's lane is different, knowing that everybody feels behind when they look at social media. All your friends that are going 10,000 miles an hour feel behind when they look at social media because their friends are doing something that they want to do. And it's just the joys of social media. Um, But it's about staying in your own lane and realizing like, hey, I'm doing well, right? Like I'm actually doing well with whatever it is that's going on. I'm, I'm doing well with honoring my body. I'm doing well with managing my symptoms or I'm doing well with my career or my networking or just for some people, like you're right, in the pandemic, I'm doing well staying sane. Like for me, I am very extroverted. And so the whole pandemic, I wasn't going out because I was, I couldn't, I didn't want to get sick because with a chronic illness, it's a whole different level. And so I am an extrovert <laughs> looking for <laughs> that connection. And my gym was cut off and that was always a big source of social um connection and you can't do going out with people. I mean, it's just, it was really hard. So even just staying in your lane and realizing like, Hey, this is tough because of these reasons. And here are the reasons why I'm doing really, really well and allowing yourself to ignore the people going 10,000 miles an hour, because by the way, they're all going to crash at some point. I completely agree with that. And I'll be honest, I've been at that point where I'm like completely crash and burn too. But then, you know, you pick yourself back up, dust off the pieces and put yourself back together. But going off of that too, like something that I practice every single day, like mindset wise, is just celebrating the teeny tiny little win. Did I get up and make my bed today? Yes, I did. Congratulations, me. What is the one thing I can do to now celebrate it? Is it going to get a Starbucks on my way to work? Perfect. You know, it's like reinforcing those little teeny tiny wins. Mm-hmm. Because then if you happen to be scrolling on social media later in the day and you're seeing your friend who's like, here's my life update and look at all the amazing things that I'm doing. You can still be like, oh, well, I did X, Y, and Z today that I needed to do for me. And I'm okay with them out here doing their own thing because I'm okay with what I've done for the day. I think that's why it is so important to have people that celebrate those wins with you, that understand that you're you're doing amazing work and that you are happy and that you don't have to compare to anybody else. Oh, absolutely. I have, you know, I have great friends from college and I have friends from college who are like, why are you still where you are today? Like for me personally, mid pandemic, like life kind of crashed and burned. So I, you know, picked up the pieces, pivoted, but I moved back home to move in with my parents. And I had a couple of friends from college who said, why in the world would you ever move back home to live with your parents? I got so many people move back home with their parents. Oh my goodness. It has been one of the best experiences ever for me. But then I also, you know, there are some people who always tell me when I reconnect with them, they're like, well, haven't you lost all your independence? You know, why would you ever move back home with your parents? And, you know, so you have to learn to like 
kind of gracefully kick those people to the side and say, <laughs> no, thanks. I really don't want your opinion. Thank yeah. you, but no. And then there are people in my life from college and from high school who are still amazing because they know, you know, they know the circumstances, they know what I'm going through on a personal level, and they know that, sure, maybe, you know, moving back home was the best decision for me right now. Or sure, you know, like, only doing two tasks on my to-do list is a huge win because of balancing energy levels. And those are the people that you hold close, right? Those are the people that are going to be in your life for a very long time. The other people are going to be posting on social media about everything that they did. (laughs) (laughs) So one part of your story that I love, because I also love this, is you're moving to paradise. You're traveling. Because I don't know about you, I grew up traveling. So I felt very comfortable doing it even once I was diagnosed. I mean, I would travel and I would time it like with my medication and I would still do things like go up and climb the Inca Trail up to Machu Picchu, but I would just make sure it fell in a certain certain timeline and I could still take care of myself. But for some people, it's it's something that they really want to do and then they th- feel like they can't because something like a chronic illness is going to keep you um, at home. So talk to me a little bit about that when you decided, did you, I guess, first of all, did you grow up traveling? How comfortable were you with traveling just to begin with? So I was comfortable in a sense, like my family did a lot of traveling when I was younger, but it was always in a very structured set. As in like, we were going specific places for a small amount of time and it was all in a very controlled environment because something else like on top of the chronic illness you know part of the chronic illness is having all these random symptoms and so my little sister who also has this same illness unfortunately had a lot of the symptoms a lot stronger than I did so she actually ended up having a lot more struggles than I did and because of that we really had to structure everything so that she could take her certain medications at certain times of the day that she could be able to travel when she wanted to but not in a sense because she had to be home for doctor's appointments at certain times so I completely relate to your story about needing to do things on a certain amount of time because that's how growing up was for me a Mm -hmm. lot when it came to travel what really kind of set me on a different trajectory for travel was when I did go and study abroad which was great because I really found that independence I'm I love to travel and I'm going to travel and this is how I can travel within within boundaries, of course, because you have a, a chronic illness and energy levels a lot of times can kind of go right. this way or that way and mood swings and just having changes in general is definitely something hard something that is harder to cope with when having a chronic illness and traveling. But also then finding the ways to empower yourself when you're traveling. And for me, what that looked like was like, maybe I can't go whole hog 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. exploring a new city, but I can do a pocket from 9 to noon and see something super cool 
maybe I'll have to go take a nap <laughs> in the middle of the day because whatever I've done is super exhausting. And then in the afternoon, you do something, doing something a little more low key, but just like really honoring. Again, I think it comes back to boundaries and balance, honoring what you know you need, but still then having a super fun time while you're, while you're uh, honoring those boundaries. And traveling with people that understand that. Oh, absolutely. That too. I remember my first ever trip when I was studying abroad, I went on a weekend trip with two friends who were not as close anymore because they just, they didn't understand that I couldn't wake up at 6am and keep going all day long with action-packed activities full of everything without taking two seconds to breathe because they didn't understand the illness, which I will definitely take responsibility for too. I they didn't even know I had an illness at the time. Because again, weird girl with an illness studying abroad, but I digress. <laughs> um, and I totally lost my train of thought too. Jog my train of thought. <laughs> Traveling with people who didn't know that you had to put up boundaries and couldn't just go, go, go all day long. Yeah. So traveling with that group of friends was kind of eye-opening to me because I didn't understand that not everyone knew what it was like to not have the energy to just keep going all day long and not have to like sit down for five seconds. But then like later on in my study abroad trip, I ended up going on one of the most amazing trips of my life up until this point with someone who was super chill and was like, okay, so we're only doing one thing today. And the rest of the day, we can just do whatever we want. And so really finding those people who understand what your needs are. And then also being able to communicate what your needs are while you're traveling with different people. If you know what you need, like I think being your biggest advocate is something that's super important when it comes to traveling with an illness. Yes. If you can't do certain things or eat certain foods or even if you're just not feeling comfortable, being able to advocate your needs to the people that you're around and then trusting that the people that you're with are going to honor those needs that you're advocating. Yeah. Or trusting yourself that if they don't honor it, you're going to. And even if they're still go, 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 you're going to, you know, peace out and go back to the room for a little bit and take a nap. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that's definitely a little bit harder to do, you know, especially when you're traveling with other people, but really just understanding what you are needing. And then FOMO aside, like if you need a nap, you need a nap. Yeah, It's not a bad thing to need to nap. And I think just even changing some of that understanding when it comes to our mindset, like the things that other people may say are like bad or negative aren't negative and that was one of the biggest things that I had to learn like taking a nap isn't a bad thing you need a nap you need to replenish your energy so that you can continue no. to do amazing things you need to stop for to eat food wonderful you're replenishing your body with the nutrients it needs like it's not a bad thing to have needs no. and so even just no. switching up that mindset in for yourself too, especially when it comes to 
when you're traveling? I think that on certain levels, we're all just still in high school for the rest of our lives. <laughs> it's FOMO. <laughs> it's people looking at you like, you need to take a nap and eat. You're so weird. That's such a bad, bad thing to do on vacation. <laughs> like, we will always encounter the peer pressure and wanting to fit in and wanting to to be on the same level, whatever level that is. That doesn't mean it's a level above as other people. But I agree. I think it's about choosing, like it is with all of it, it's about choosing your partners. It's about, or even if you're just traveling alone, that makes it super easy to honor yourself and, and stop when you need to stop. But if you're traveling with somebody else, it's about picking your partners, picking who you travel with, because not everybody wants to go, go, go all day long. Like my husband, it's not vacation without a nap. <laughs> What are you even thinking? <laughs> Not taking a nap on vacation. I completely agree with that. And I think sometimes too, like it, I think something that you have to remember too is like you have to be patient when it comes to finding those partners. Mm, like yeah. you can think you're so comba- compatible with someone and then you go and travel with them and you're like, oh, you're not the person who I thought you were. And then also understanding like maybe the people that, you thought they were aren't the people you thought you were and like treating everyone with grace but also then still knowing that you need to advocate for what you want yes yeah nothing nothing shows you who another person really is like traveling for sure and and i mean nothing shows you things about yourself i think like traveling that's why i i love it so much because you're always learning about yourself. You're always learning about other people. And if you do, you're right, it takes some time. Uh, but if you do find those partners that you enjoy traveling with, it's you learn more about them in so many amazing ways. But I think that's one of the things that I love so much about traveling is that it always presents these opportunities for you to learn and grow and just see more of yourself in different situations, because there are stresses. There are times where you can't honor what you know you need or times where you have to separate and go lay down while people are maybe going on another excursion and things like that. But it just allows you to, I don't know, at the risk of sounding cheesy, it it allows you to get to know yourself that much more and get that much more comfortable and connect with yourself. You know, you're not sounding cheesy at all. I was going to say the same exact thing. I did not learn learn more about myself than I did every time I traveled. Mm -hmm. And especially every time I traveled by myself. Because even sometimes you like second guess like your ability and your comfort level on certain things. Because you think like, oh, well, I've never had to do these things before. Or I've never had to have these coping mechanisms for my illness before why do I all of a sudden need them now you don't even think of those things until you're in circumstances where it's like oh crap I can't eat anything what do I do yes (laughs) and then you you learn along the way you just you know you find solutions and then you keep going and I feel like that's all travel is like learning about yourself and learning how you can find solutions to the problems that you're encountering I think 
it also allows you, and I say allows you because some people fight it and some people don't travel well and some people hate it and that's okay. <laughs> but if, if you are like us and just love to travel, it allows you to learn how to be flexible in situations that quite possibly you've never been in before. And it helps you to practice resilience. It's the epitome of stepping outside of your comfort zone. And then practicing all of the, what I think goes into a great mindset that helps us in so many other ways, but things like patience and flexibility and resilience and gratitude and problem solving and all sorts of things. Absolutely. I completely agree. And then not to sound like a Debbie Downer, but then you add in chronic illness. Right. One step above and it's like everything, everything shifts but in a good way, because then you just have to be even more patient, even more resilient, go even further out of your comfort zone. And so you can really like learn on a deeper level, like not only how can I become better and how can I step myself outside of my comfort zone, but how can I do so while still honoring what I need to be surviving every single day? Right. And honoring changing needs. So not only is your environment different and changing, but your body might be different and changing. There's so many layers to it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I know there are people listening who listen to us and think we're so cool. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Listen to us and they think, (laughs) I want to travel like this. I've always wanted to go to this one place. And they are a little bit hesitant because they're dealing with a chronic, either with a diagnosis or just with a a chronic illness that might not be diagnosed, but they know their body is just acting funky and something's not quite right, but they don't want to put life on hold and they want to go to this one place. So talk to, what would you tell somebody who really wants to go travel, isn't quite sure? What are some things that they can do? What are some steps that they can take to get comfortable with it? Oh, goodness. Well, that's a loaded question. Just the story. <laughs> I love a but loaded I, question. I would say I am very type A, and I think that's something that has really helped me when it comes to traveling with a chronic illness. So really think about, not in a bad way, but think of all of the possible things that could go wrong, and then just plan for them to go wrong and be prepared. So something for me is I know I need to always bring snacks that I can eat because I may be in places where like other things won't go well with my stomach. So thinking ahead of time, how can I be prepared if there's nothing that I can eat? I can bring a snack. I can eat before I leave the hotel. Like thinking of all of the almost like worst case scenario and planning for those things. And then just having a whole suit of armor on your back with all of these solutions before you even step foot in another city or in another country. I would say it's like the biggest thing that you can have when it comes to like just feeling apprehensive about traveling with a chronic illness. I would also say just just do it, even if you're worried. (laughs) There's always going to be like some kind of saving grace or some kind of angel that's going to come in and save the day. For me personally, I was studying abroad in Rome, Italy. I ended up having the worst ever possible stomach flu. 
I won't go into details. <laughs> and thank goodness, you know, like, did I know how to say the medicine I needed in Italian? Absolutely not. But there was Google Translate. My super sweet professor who speaks, you know, fluent Italian was willing to take me to the pharmacist to get the specific medicine I needed so that I would be okay. Like, sure, things are going to go wrong, but there's always going to be some form of something I preach about a lot. It's like divine guidance. There's always going to be something or someone that's going to come in and save the day. So sure, you can be super worried about all the possible outcomes and all the possible things that can go wrong and you can plan for them. But at this at the end of the day, like, it's going to go okay. And so I would say just, like, take the risk if you're feeling apprehensive about traveling with a chronic illness because it'll all work out in the end. I, I love that. And I think that embodies the mindset to have when you are doing something like this is just knowing, you know, you can plan for everything that you know that you can plan for. But as far as other things that you don't plan for, it's going to be okay. You know, walking in knowing there are solutions. And when you walk in with the mindset, with that positive mindset of there's always going to be a solution. There's always going to be something that can help me. There's always a resource. I have planned for, you know, 75%, probably 90% of the things that um, can go wrong or I'm going to need or are going to be just a bump in the road for the rest of it. I am open to finding a solution. And just by being open like that, that's when you see it. That's when you're able to see somebody who can help you and accept that help and look for it. It's, it's such an essential part, I think, of that travel. And I think you described it so beautifully. It's like you just have to have the security and have that open, positive mindset that things are going to be okay and that you can figure it out. Absolutely. You can plan for 99.99999% of the problem. There's always going to be that very small subset of things that you're like, oh crap, why didn't I think of this? Now what do I do? But when you're already in that like solutions focused mindset, when you're like, oh crap, what do I do? You think, okay, what's my next best option? What's my next best solution? And how can I keep moving forward? Yes. So it becomes less about apprehension and more about, okay, I can do this. Sure, I'm in a foreign country or sure, I'm in a place I don't know quite yet. Maybe I don't speak the language. Maybe my chronic illness isn't doing great right this second. But I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to keep moving forward. And I'm still going to have maybe not the best time I would have had if I wasn't having these problems. But I'm still... In this place where I get to have these amazing experiences and I'm going to be grateful for it, even if crap is hitting the fan. Right. Yeah. And by the way, it doesn't have to be that you're gone for like an entire semester, right? You can go for, exactly. you can go for like three right. You can go for a day, like 12 hours. Yeah. You can totally, you can go for a day. There's so many different options. If you are hesitant, you don't have to just launch. You can do little baby steps and get used to it. Well, Abigail, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming here and talking about all the things with going to school, with traveling, with the this amazing mindset that you have as far as tackling new, hard, different things and doing it with the utmost grace. So thank you so much for coming. 
Well, thank you so much for having me on here. It's been so much fun. If you like the show, don't be shy. Please give us a five-star rating and review. Follow us on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, or wherever you're listening right now. To see complete show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit andreahansencoaching.com. Thank you for joining me. And until next time, take care.